This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance, and I'm recording this podcast on Thursday morning, June the 9th. We're just about a week out from the shooting that occurred at Cornerstone in our parking lot on the evening of Thursday, June the 2nd. And I don't know that I have lots of orderly, coherent thoughts, but I thought it might be helpful today on the podcast to simply reflect on some of the things God's teaching me about how to grieve, about how to walk forward in a time of lament and loss and incredible pain. For those of you who may not have heard, um, what happened was on Thursday, June the 2nd, two young ladies were shot and killed in our parking lot as an individual shooter, John, upset about a breakup, came out and took their lives and then took his own life. It happened just as they, along with many of their friends, were walking into the first Summer Salt Company of the summer of 2022. Our church is shocked, grieved. So many of us who were there, we happened to uh, be on the scene as well. Our elder team was meeting, uh, so our elders were right there within a couple minutes of when everything happened. It was tragic, it was horrific, it was traumatizing, it was evil. That's the, It was evil. And two precious people that we deeply love, people deeply connected to Salt Company, Eden Montang and Vivian Flores, lost their lives. They're with Jesus now. They both loved him, and while we take great comfort in that, and that that phrase even, when I say the sentence, we take great comfort in it, sounds trivial, but it is the thing I cling to like a life raft right now, that the families cling to, is the hope of the resurrection and the good news of the gospel. It feels like sometimes the only thing you can hold on to that floats you through the chaos of the turbulence. In the midst of that, in the past week, we've all been trying to figure out how to grieve, how to help the students and the staff who were there at the time and saw what they saw, how to walk through this together. And I don't know that I have any sort of right answers. I don't know that there are right answers at times like this. But there are things that we're learning in this process of grief that are little bits of the grace of God to us. God comes and he comforts us with grace in unexpected ways, and I'm learning things that are lessons I never hoped to need to learn, but still they're there. And I'm just going to share a few kind of thoughts, reflections on what God is teaching me and somehow how we're trying to walk forward. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is I'm figuring out that trauma and how you process the grief and pain and sorrow from trauma is a little different from the grief that I've been a part of in the past. You know, I've lost my grandpa, who is very dear to me. I've had a good bit of experience with 
what it's like to just grieve, to have the sadness and lament over what is lost. The experience of being right in the midst of the traumatic events of it is a bit different. It's it's layered. You have even layers of those who experienced it. You have layers of those who were there that night and witnessed a violent act right in front of them. You have layers of those of us who were there minutes, seconds after it happened and witnessed the aftermath and the incredible trauma that many people were experiencing. You have family members who lost people dear to them. You have church people who feel like the sacred place and innocence has been violated in their church. And so you have all of these people dealing with all of these layers. And the thing with traumatic events is they're events that don't really make sense. From a Christian perspective, what they are is they're a shattering of the order that God has created. God has made the world in his original creation to be very good. And so what causes trauma is something violently enters into the storyline of God's good world and shatters the normal way we see it. So what that does is even in a traumatic event, your memories and your the way you see the experience tends to fragment. You only hold pieces together. Like they're parts of the memory I still don't see in color yet. There's, it's a very unusual experience. And so, one of the best things that um, happened to help many of us through this is in the first few hours, really literally the day after, the day after that, many of us who were there, we gathered together some experienced trauma counselors who walk staff and students and many people through an experience of just processing through what we were doing. We had to take these memories that are fragmenting and try to integrate them back in so that you can help to give a coherent narrative to what you experienced and what you saw. We, we did that in a way where we're in a place where there's no judgment being shown on people and how they're experiencing anything, where we were trying to figure out ways to draw pictures and to speak what we saw, to give structure to the chaos that is in your head. All of that because what happens is in the first hours, we've just been learning this, in the first hours after a traumatic event, you have the opportunity to try to mold your experience and your story. Think of your memories like blocks, You know, these blocks, you've been able to stack them one after another in a pretty orderly way. You can see the repetitive patterns. I wake up, I do this, that block makes sense. What we experienced on the night of Thursday, June the 2nd, was a block that didn't make sense. It wasn't shaped like a block. It was jagged and doesn't make sense. And so you can't just put this into a neat order in your mind. But in the first hours afterwards, what you're able to do is as you process that that trauma and that experience, you can begin to shape that memory and give it coherence so that it makes enough sense to put in there. That helps you to keep from having a fragmented memory and instead to have it integrated. And that's one of the things that helps with avoiding things like post-traumatic stress disorder, where the memories pop up at random times and, and harm you in the past. But I'm learning so much about trauma. It's it's painful to watch because when people enter into this moment, they don't just bring that moment with them. Everything that's painful, you you bring back with you. Maybe you had an experience of a loved one who 
died in a violent crime. That comes kind of back to the surface again, and you kind of relive some of that. And it was just a great grace of God that Ed Ruper and the team who had some experience in this gave of their time to come and serve us. And so I was just so grateful for Ed. I was so grateful for the counselors who gave their time for Iowa State University. They opened up a big space for us to come and just process. And it was one of the worst and most painful and best things I did. And I'm really thankful for that. You know, I've learned a lot just even reflecting on that space about how we process grief. Grief is an incredibly important thing for us as people. You know, in a traumatic event, you're looking for anything that makes sense. You're looking to ground yourself. And so even simple things, the rituals that we go through, rituals like funerals, as painful as they are, and I might cry talking about them, guys. I'm, it's very raw still. Um, as painful as it was to be in the funerals, it was healing because we needed a place to express our grief, to add the weight of finality to what we saw. Without that space, you're left with these jagged fragments that don't make sense. And so I've learned the importance of a funeral in a new way. I've learned the importance of a visitation and of tears. We have to use those tools because they're the way we acknowledge that an image bearer was lost. They're the way we acknowledge the preciousness of what was there. They're they're a way for us to fight back against the violation that we felt as evil entered our space. Solomon sent me a couple days after it, as we were just trying to process together, um, some notes from Rick Warren. Rick Warren is a pastor out in California. He lost his son to suicide about five years ago. And Saul was reading some notes that he had written up. And these five principles really helped us too. Rick Warren wrote that grief is individual. There's no one way to grieve. Like some people, it was days before they had any tears. There's nothing right or wrong about that. There's a different shape to the way people grieve. Warren writes, grief takes time. You don't get over it, you get through it. One of the first thoughts I had was, I wanted to forget this so bad. I wanted everything that I'd seen and other people had seen to just go away. But that's, that's really not what happens. You don't get over it, you, you go through it. You find a way to bring meaning to your pain and to the pain of others. And so you have to be patient with that process. Grief, thirdly, is a, is a gift. We would, it's the gift you would never want. But Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Even that verse right there, that promise of God, they will be comforted, I just cling, I cling to God's promises right now. Saul used this image. He said, God's promises, what we're doing is we're putting our whole weight on them all the time, and we're finding they hold. Every promise of God is so strong. You can put all of who you are on it, and it'll hold you up. And so I'm coming in saying, Jesus, you said, blessed are those who mourn. So we're mourning. And you told us we would be comforted. So bring us your comfort. We're putting all our weight on that. 
And that grief that you feel is a gift in this sense. It's the way you process and integrate the pain and the memories. We, we want to ignore it, but really it's by, by grieving our way through it that we add meaning to what we're, we're feeling. We integrate it. Grief also needs presence, Warren puts out. The deeper the pain you feel, the fewer the words you give. Words are messy things. When people come in and say, oh, I know what you feel, or hey, I bet it was like this, or maybe you should think about doing this in the future, my first instinct is to say, you probably don't know what you're talking about. I'm finding I have to, in that, Warren also points out that grief needs grace. You have to forgive people who say hurtful things, things that you don't understand. And, and I'm learning that too. But I think maybe one of the biggest things I'm learning is that um, hugs have mattered more than words. That presence with people has been a ministry of grace. That you don't just make people feel safe by telling them they're safe. You make people feel safe by holding their hand in the hard place. I think grief also, going beyond what Warren writes, um, connects us. One of the universal experiences we have in a fallen world is the experience of pain. And for the first time in my ministry at Cornerstone, many people have walked up to me and said, Mark, can I tell you about the pain I have in my life? And I've known some of these people for years. But for the first time, because I was in a place of pain, I was safe for them to talk to now. God had comforted them with grace, and they were going to comfort me with the grace they had received. That's kind of the way Paul puts it. Our pain bonded us. And so that, those people who brought their presence, who shared their pain, it was it's it's a... It's the holy privilege you'd never wanted to walk with people in those spaces. I'm learning the importance of, as a leader, bringing the presence of Christ into a room. Now, I don't want to act like somehow I come in and I bring God with me. Like Theologically, I know that's not right. But what we've realized is Jesus has been in every room and every space that we've walked into in this traumatic moment. The problem is just oftentimes we're not aware he's there. We, we live our lives as Christians with the presence of Jesus with us. He promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. He gave us his spirit to be with us always, to literally translate the groanings of our heart into the understandable prayers that the Father hears. The Spirit is always with us. The problem is not the presence of Jesus. The problem is I'm often unaware of the presence of Jesus. So as a leader, many, many rooms I've walked in, we've taken a deep breath, we've held hands, and just simply said, God, even if we haven't felt it, we're just pausing to say, we know you're here. You're here with us. 
I think it's universally been true in my life that easy paths make sleepy Christians. And that it's on the rocky, jagged, difficult paths. It's in in the valley of the shadow of death where the presence of Christ is so tangible and real that you simultaneously think in your head, I would never, ever, ever want to be in this place again. And you think in your head, perhaps I've never felt the nearness of Jesus more directly. There's a privilege, a terrible privilege, of walking with God in pain and suffering. It's a privilege none of us at Cornerstone have wanted. Not one of the family members has wanted but if Psalm 34:18 is real, if the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, then I have often wondered throughout this if perhaps the place in the world the Lord has been nearest in this last week has been a little church in a cornfield of names. As God has seen my tears and family members' tears, feels like gallons and gallons and gallons of tears as he's seen our cries for help and our pain, and the Lord has drawn near to be with us. So we're walking forward right now, and we're putting together the pieces and trying to figure out what the future looks like. Each day, I want to say feels a little better, but it doesn't really work like that. It's not just a straight line up and to the right when you try to process grief. It's kind of jagged. Most days, I feel a little better. I'm sleeping a little better. But then last night, I had terrible dreams again. You know, that's that's okay. I'm learning. I'm learning to just be patient with that, to not, not judge it too much. Just keep keep walking, keep trusting God. And in time, we're seeing how the Lord will answer us and rescue us from all our fears. But right now, we're just trying to walk forward. And we're finding the grace of God in the dark spaces. As we go forward, there's a few things we're just trying to pray our way through. One is, right now we're doing funerals. And we're processing even memorial gifts that are coming in to honor Vivian and Eden. And Vivian's family and Eden's family asked that all those would come to Cornerstone. So if you're wanting to give a gift, you can go onto our website. And there's going to be a link there where you can give to either of the memorial funds. In the case of Vivian Flores, she was a child of a first-generation immigrant mother and enrolled in college and all that goes with that, the financial struggles and all of those pieces. And she and her family, her family has decided in her memory to set up a legacy scholarship fund at Iowa State to help other students who are either first-generation immigrant families or uh, minority students who are wanting to go into the vet med program. What what a beautiful way to honor her. And so we're going to help process those funds and then get that fund set up along with them through Iowa State. In the case of Eden's family, they just wanted the gifts to go to the church. They knew she loved Cornerstone and loved Salt Company, and we're using those funds benevolently to help with those who are there who need counseling and care, pastoral care, to help them process grief. And we're praying through a way that we can honor uh, Vivian Eden, even here 
at Cornerstone. We don't get to act like the scars aren't here now. And so we have to acknowledge that this is part of our story. And these precious sisters who we've lost, we want to remember them. And so we're trying to figure out the best way to do that. And then trying to care in any way we can for people in the community who have experienced pain through this. This is um, the worst privilege I've ever had in my life. I think that's true of many, many people at our church. But it is a holy privilege to walk with precious people through their most painful moments, to remind them of the presence of Christ. And so, as you are thinking of Cornerstone Church, keep praying for us. Keep praying for the families, the Flores family, the Montang family. Keep praying for people who were there. Keep praying that somehow out of the darkest place any of us have ever walked, Jesus would shine. There's a, a little memorial that started in our parking lot, not far from where the events of that night happened. And in that, every other day it seems like someone walks by and they rewrite a verse that has carried a lot of us through this time. It's John chapter 1, verse 5. And right in the middle of all those flowers, even today as I walked over and prayed, there's a note that says, The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. That's true because Vivian and Eden had the light of Jesus inside of them, so the darkness could never overcome them, but it's also going to be true in this situation. Jesus is already, as the light of the world, bringing his light back into this darkness, and the darkness won't overcome it. That's another one of those promises. I'm leaning all the weight of who I am on, and I'm trusting God in it. So thanks for your prayers. Thanks for your kind words. And thanks for continuing to walk with us. And I hope in some way, maybe there's something of the pain that we're going through, that even in this podcast could be a ministry of grace to you. God bless you in it.